live from the Batcave, it's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 91, The Rare and Beautiful Exploding Rats of Potawango Island. On today's episode, we've got a monster movie review, connected pulp characters, and the GM's toolkit. And now, let's go on with the show. What? Bat condoms? Really, Bruce? Really? Hello there, folks. Welcome to episode 91 of the podcast. I'm your host, Doc Cross, and it is a hot day here in Sacramento, California. It is right now about 99 degrees outside, and it's only going to get hotter because it's only a few minutes shy of 2 o'clock, so we got plenty of heat to generate. I am trying to edit out all of the sound of the fans going because we have one, two, three, four fans blowing in the living room and here in the kitchen dining room. Uh, Otherwise, my trusty dog and I will cook like a couple of hams. But otherwise, things are going well here. I hope things went well for you over the past week since we last had our little meeting here. And let's get right down to business where I think my wonderful, wonderful patrons over on Patreon. And by the way, if you're not a patron, you should become one because you get all of these episodes to listen to as they come out every week. You don't have to wait for two months the way the people over on Anchor do. There's also PDFs, there's some maps and uh, different things that I did uh, previously. And I will be doing more special stuff, downloadable stuff, PDFs, things like that, in the future. Probably more towards the fall, but but we'll see what happens if I can get ahead on the Doclopedia entries I've been doing. And by the way, that's another perk you get. Over on the blog, the Doclopedia entries go up every day. But if you're a patron, you get to read an entire week's worth in advance. On a Monday, boom, there's seven of them, and you can read them, and you're way ahead of everybody else. Not to mention that the ones that appear here on uh, the Patreon page, well, they're, I don't know, a month ahead of the ones on the blog, which makes it like, I don't know how far ahead of the ones that you hear on Anchor. Anyway, let's thank those patrons, and that would be the wonderful Avis, the Sterling Bruce, the Delightful Jame, the Exceptional Marion, the Wonderful David, the Excellent Mark, the Supreme Kevin, and the Steadfast Peter. You guys are the best. Love you all, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. And it's now time for a monster movie review on the subject of plants that eat people. And this one is Maneater of Hydra. Now, Maneater of Hydra is a Spanish-German co-production released in 1967. Let me take a moment here to point out that if you are about to watch a movie, a horror movie especially, and it is a Spanish-slash-anything-else co-production, and it was released in the 60s or the early to mid-70s, maybe even late 70s, 
you are going to see a weird, possibly bad movie. Uh, they made a lot of them. They appeared on Creature Features and stuff a lot. And you can even go back into the 50s for some of these. And so just know what you're getting into. A lot of them are going to be very weird. A lot of them are going to have actors from the United States who were, let's say, at a low point in their career, or maybe their careers were over. They're going to have a lot of people from other countries using American-sounding names. Yeah, they're not. And this movie was directed by American expatriate Mel Wells. And there's a reason he was an expatriate, because a lot of his movies sucked. The alternate titles include La Isla de las Muertas, The Island of the Doomed, and The Bloodsuckers. That was the UK title. It was a horror film set on a remote island off the shore of an unidentified European country. Maybe, I don't know, Spain? In which the central character is a mad scientist, played by Cameron Mitchell, who did a lot of low-budget, not-great movies. He creates a hybrid tree that feeds on dun, 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 human blood. The plot is pretty simple. A group of tourists travel to an island to see its exotic botanicals. There, they meet Baron von Wesser, played by Cameron Mitchell, a reclusive scientist studying esoteric horticulture and experimenting with the crossbreeding of dangerous varieties of plants. One of the Baron's creations is draining the blood of human beings through a small hole in their cheek, and the tourists are dying one by one. And there's your movie right there. And you probably know how everything goes. If you've ever seen Cameron Mitchell in any of his lower-budget horror, sci-fi, whatever movies, you know that he'll be chewing the scenery like a mad beaver chews a birch tree. Okay, uh, this is not the greatest of the Plants Eat People movies. It's watchable. Uh, it's weird because, like I say, Spanish co-production. And the Germans didn't help much on this either. And directed by a goofy-ass American, so that's a real stew pot right there. The critical reception of this movie was, <laughs> according to one reviewer, and I'm reading again from Wikipedia, this Spanish-German co-production is pretty bloody for its time, especially the finale. But unfortunately, the print used for the DVD from Shout Factory, as part of their Elvira Movie Macabre series, is a terribly soft, full-frame Speckled mess is full of dropouts, emulsion scratches, and jitters. So, the Shout Factory version on DVD is a piece of shit. Okay, so avoid that. Another review says it's badly acted and dubbed Euro Horror that gives us carnivorous trees feasting on unsuspecting tourists. Unfortunately, these tourists are so whiny and clueless that they come off as idiots, so you end up rooting for the tree. That's true. Uh, this is common in, in these... Spanish, Italian, whatever horror movies, that uh, the dubbing is terrible. The acting is equally terrible because they're hiring the bottom of the barrel actors. And very often, the bad guy, the monster, the creature, the aliens are the ones you're the most interested in because everybody else is an idiot. So that is Maneater of Hydra. You can watch it wherever you can find it if you want to watch it. And I'm not sure, but I think next week we may be done with the Plants That Eat People. 
but we'll see. It's time now for Connected Pulp Characters, and we have a couple of interesting ones today. We have Dr. Wu and the Red Mask Avenger. Dr. Wu is a mad scientist who is multidisciplined. When your characters meet him one time, he might have created, oh, I don't know, a plant that eats people. The next time, maybe he's got a ray gun that makes people degenerate into cavemen. A third time, he might have robots. You never know. Dr. Wu is your standard Asian bad guy, evil scientist, mastermind, but he doesn't fit the sort of Fu Manchu thing. He doesn't really hate white people. He doesn't really hate uh, anybody, a British, American, Japanese, whoever he's up against. He just wants to make his creations and conquer the fucking world. Is that too much to ask, really? Dr. Wu is a short fellow. He's probably no more than about 5'5". Five, five. He's very well versed in many, many scientific disciplines. He is not any sort of master of kung fu or any of that shit. He will just go ahead and shoot you. You know, he's not going to duke it out with you. He has lots and lots of minions because he pays them well. This is not some sort of religious thing. These guys don't bow down to him. He pays well. And he hires some of the earth sometimes and the cream of the crop other times. Now, Dr. Wu is very, very often opposed by a masked vigilante. Also, he suspects an Asian, but he's not sure. This guy is a master of all sorts of martial arts. He also has several different gadgets that he uses. And he's called the Red Mask Avenger. And this guy wears very loose-fitting clothing, sort of stuff from 100 years before, back in the 1830s instead of the 1930s. He wears this red mask that fits all the way over his head like a luchador mask. And he's a badass. He can kick ass, he can do parkour, he can use his gadgets, he's a master swordsman, he does carry a sword, he's great with uh, infiltrating places. The underworld in the Asian sphere are completely afraid of him. He terrifies them. You never know where he's going to pop up. Fortunately, for most underworld organizations, his main target is Dr. Wu. Now, how are these two connected, aside from being enemies? The Red Mask Avenger is Dr. Wu's son. His son grew up with him and a mother, and then the mother died while Dr. Wu was away trying to conquer the world. Son was in his early teens. Son has a big argument with Dr. Wu, storms out, goes away. Well, the fact is the mother didn't really die. The mother, the son, and two daughters, who Dr. Wu doesn't care about because they're girls, they arranged for the mother to look like she died and then everybody split. So he was raised the rest of the way by his mother. He learned martial arts. And he decided to stop his father from doing any of the evil shit he wants to do. So there you go. You've got Dr. Wu and the Red Mask Avenger. And if your characters are going up against Dr. Wu, then Red Mask might jump in and help him. He might wait and see how they're doing before he does anything. If they fumble around and get in his way, he might kick their asses and tell them to go away. Uh, Dr. Wu, of course, is insanely dangerous. He always makes his laboratories deep in some sort of lair where you've got to get past all sorts of traps, tricks, mutant creatures, and, of course, 
killers who want to blow your shit away. So there you go. Dr. Wu, Red Mask Avenger. We will have two more Connected Pulp characters in two weeks. Now we move on to the GM's Toolkit. And today, our theme for the GM's Toolkit is messing around with monsters. And by that I mean, you're the GM, and you need to understand that even if your players do not read any of the monster manuals or the rule books or whatever that your particular system has, they're going to learn what monsters do. They're going to learn how your kobolds are. They're going to learn how your dragons are. They're going to learn how your hydras are. So, make different hydras. Make different dragons. Make different kobolds. Make different creatures using the basic archetype. And I'm going to give you the one that I used early on in the very long and uh, complex campaign that I ran while I lived in San Jose. Everybody knows that mummies are undead and you don't want them touching you because then you get mummy rot and stuff like that. But everybody also knows that mummies are highly flammable because they're wrapped in dry bandages and stuff, right? That's the first thing players learn. First thing I learned when I encountered mummies. Hey, hitting them with a sword doesn't do much, but boy, you punch that fucker with a torch and he goes up. Well, I had to meet some mummies who were wrapped in asbestos. They saw the mummies... They threw some oil on them, they threw a torch, the mummies got on fire, but they weren't burning up. So now they had to fight, not just mummies, they had to fight flaming mummies, and they couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. When they finally defeated them, which took a while, they examined what they were wrapped in, and I told them it was asbestos. At which point, my players all said very naughty words to me. But I had a lot of fun, and kept them on their toes. Next time they met mummies, they poked one with a torch, and when he caught fire, they said, okay, it's a regular mummy. One of the main things you can do to bump up or change a monster around is to make it stronger, make it larger, give it some sort of spell that it can use once a day or something like that, make it more intelligent. That's always a good one. You can make it have different weaknesses, swap those around, you can make it have different attacks. Okay, maybe that red dragon can't breathe fire. He's a mutant. Instead, he breathes superheated steam. Or maybe he breathes, he just hacks up some saliva and it's boiling hot. You can change the way intelligent monsters behave. Let's say you've got a bunch of, well, let's go back to kobolds. you got a bunch of kobolds and they're not much of a threat. Well, they are if they use ranged weapons before they come in for the attack, and they're well hidden because they're small. Maybe they used advanced formations and advanced battle tactics. That'll fuck with your characters. You know, your players will be like, what the hell? Maybe these kobolds are bigger than regular kobolds or tougher. That's always a good one. Maybe they have someone in their group that can use magic. So while you're fighting these kobolds, expecting them to shoot arrows at you, throw spears at you, or whatever they do, even though they're doing it in a, a military style, you know, you're like, okay, well, we can fight these guys. But then all of a sudden, you know, boom, there's a fireball in your midst. Oh, shit, one of these kobolds knows magic, and he ain't fucking around. Lots of things you can do to alter, change, bump up monsters. Uh, you can have monsters appear where they shouldn't. 
I once had a swamp monster, a actually a, a shambling mound, appear in the desert in a cave. Now, how he got to the cave, the players never knew, but there was a large pool in the cave, and as they approached it, this thing rose up and came towards them. And the players were all, what, what, this is not possible. What the hell's going on here? Well, that's where it lived. There was enough moisture to keep it moist. There was plenty of creatures coming into the cave for it to eat, uh, including the occasional adventurer or something larger. And that's how it existed. I have put all sorts of creatures in cities. You know, cities are full of stuff. Ask the people in Toronto, Canada, about raccoons. There are raccoons all over the place. So in a fantasy city, why couldn't you have, oh, I don't know, fairies or brownies or kobolds again? Could be living in a city. They could live in a sewer. They could live in an abandoned building. They could come out at night when nobody's around and steal chickens or whatever. There's a lot of things you can do with monsters, and you really should. Mess around with the monsters. Change them up. Make them stronger. Make them weaker. Just do all sorts of things, but do things that will keep your players on their toes. Don't let them start thinking they know everything there is to know about dragons or owlbears or whatever. Remember, keep your players on your toes. You'll have great adventures. Okay, folks. It's time for me to thank you all for listening, and I do very much. If you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docaverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. If you're listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. And if you're a patron, you can leave a message on my Patreon page, and they will send me a text about it. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear all these podcasts two months before they go up on Anchor, go to www.patreon.com forward slash dot cross. If you would only like to support this program by once in a while making a little donation, you know, not signing up for anything, you can go over to my Ko-Fi page or coffee page. I don't know how you pronounce it. And you can just go ahead and say, all right, Doc, here's three bucks. And I'll see you in six months or something. That's fine. I don't I don't put anybody down for whatever they donate. I thank you all. And, of course, you want to go over there to Doc Cross 4591. That's what they made me choose. Apparently, there were you know, a whole bunch of Doc Crosses ahead of me. If you would like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, do, by all means, get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned earlier. Our music was Seventh Floor Tango by Silent Partner off of Google Music. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2022 by Doc Cross. I will see y'all in a week. Until then, live long and prosper.